it's under construction. I have probably have 40 pages left to do, but it's due to the publisher in um, October. So I'm just this whole summer. I'm just gonna be busting through it, trying to finish it up. That's the that's the book that probably means the most to me to my heart because I grew up Mormon. So for me, growing up Mormon, you don't really know anything about the the church really unless like you like investigate it yourself you know the romanticized story of joseph sure. smith but you don't really know joseph smith and so getting into this project was like now i'm gonna know i'm gonna know i'm gonna teach myself this thing it's like a weird journey that i've on i've been on because uh i didn't research it in advance i just i sent abrams an illustration so they yeah. could see what my drawing style was like with a list of abrams you have like 500 books on the market and abrams still needed proof that you could draw I, exactly yeah yeah so <laughs> i guess so and then uh, a bullet point of like his life and so um that was it and they just said okay and now and since then that was a couple of years ago i've just been on this journey i've been traveling to the all the historic uh locations you've been spending a lot of time in utah I uh, no no not because this is before utah okay so this is actually like all like ohio uh upstate new york um illinois i went to nobu a couple months ago and uh i've just been like immersed in this this like Mormon history, you know, but it's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. In terms of of this specific story or just how you want to write stories going forward. This specific story. I don't know if I'm going to do anything like this after this. Like I, I feel like I'm kind of getting it out of my system, but when I first started doing comics, I, that was one of the first things I was drawing was like Joseph Smith. Like I, I was like, but I couldn't, I was never, I didn't really feel like I was at the level where I could actually do it justice, so I just kind of waited. You were when you were like a kid or younger or teenager. Oh, this is like were... when I. Well, I mean, like when I got into comics as like this is going to be my career. If you were career focused, the mm-hmm. idea was to do a Joseph Smith yeah, book. Yeah, absolutely. But when I first started, I wasn't sure, if, you know, because I was uh, like twenty one at the time. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I was just going to make some like irreverent kind of mean thing, yeah. like you know, like that, art that was, crumb style. Yeah, that was more the style I was at the time too. Yeah. So like you know, like hey, here's Joseph Smith, and it's about his adventures with his monkey named Moroni, you uh-huh. know, and it was just like. Junkie. So I always had some idea I was going to do it, but I didn't never felt comfortable enough. And then I did this book uh, a couple of years ago that Paul Buell wrote about uh, Johnny Appleseed. Mm-hmm. I just illustrated it, and the process of that got me so comfortable working in like 19th century style. You know, like getting into that world, like the clothing and all that stuff. That when I finished that, I was like, I think I might be ready to to take on that Joseph Smith book now. I imagine it. Joseph Smith as a character wouldn't have worked particularly well with this sort of monkey sidekick story because yeah. he's not. He's not really an established character. You know, you could do something like that with Jesus where everybody has like sort of a cartoon shorthand version of Jesus. Mm -hmm. What were the bullet points and how much has this story just generally diverged from that? It hasn't really – I mean all the bullet points that I had on the list I've been hitting. So it's all – it was just the important things of like the vision in the sacred grove where he sees God and Jesus and they tell him not to join any church. The appearance of Moroni at his bedside. Uh, one night telling him about the golden plates are buried in this hill not far from here. So it's a, t- it's a telling of Joseph Smith that's in line with the Book of Mormon? Uh, well, the Book of Mormon's not really about – it's not about Joseph okay. Smith. The Book of Mormon is the, the golden the plates that, that he, he dug found. up. Yeah. But, but, it, but it's in line with the mythology of – Yeah, but it's more – so like for example, you know, he never – in real life, he never told the story about uh, being a boy and going and, and praying in the woods and seeing God and Jesus until uh, 1835. Like so his church had already been established for a few years. Yeah. And before he starts saying that, so I illustrated it like that. I didn't. I didn't start the book off with him as a boy doing this. I illustrated that scene when he told the story of that scene happening. Mm. And there's a lot of things like that. Like I, I'm trying not to. I'm pulling back on the romanticism of it because this is not. It's not my job to do the kind of book 
that the church would pay for and publish. Yeah. I'm doing the book that, that just tells the straightforward story of who this person was, the environment they grew up in, and the religion that they formed, which is still, which has somehow become successful. So it's just a straightforward story. It's not for Mormons, and it's not for anti-Mormons. <laughs> it's just for anybody who just wants to know yeah. what this thing is. It would be a lot more lucrative if it was the, the church was behind it, I would somebody, assume. Yeah, that's what Josh is yeah. saying, the, I mean, you are exploring sort of the, the mythology of it, but you're exploring it as the stories that he's telling. Realistic, yeah. So, like, how it would be, so he... You know, he's out. He was out uh, working the fields with his with his um, his dad and his brothers, and he was feeling really sick. And he went home, and he told his father uh, about like, "Oh, last night this thing happened." And in my version, I didn't draw him in bed seeing the angel. I drew the father telling the mother about this weird story that their son told him, and I, yeah. I drew it that way. You're not trying to dissect it or you know, explore whether or not he was genuinely seeing these things or was a potentially yeah, a huckster. Yeah, that, I'm not. I'm, that's not your job. That's up to the reader to, de- to determine that. And I, I sent the I, – I have about 240 pages drawn already. And I sent them to my friend Dan, who's like the publisher at Kilgore Books, yeah. Dan Stafford, just to get like another person's opinion on this. Like, do you think this works or whatever? And he, we had a discussion about it and he's like, yeah. Like, the, you know, you can't – the way you've written it, like – it's not anti, it's just kind of like, here's what it is. And it's yeah. up to you to figure out like what you believe in all of this, you know, as a reader. And that's the perfect way to do it. Why did you leave the church? Uh, well, it's a long story. My parents got divorced. I was raised in the church. My parents were raised in the church, but my mom fell away from the faith. And so my parents got divorced and my, I was still young enough that my, I went with my mother and my mom um, had us excommunicated. Yeah. So the church left you. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they stopped bothering us yeah. after a while. But I still have kind of a relationship with them. Like I have um, – yeah. at Brigham Young University, they have a file where they collect all my – a lot of my original artwork. Um, they have all of the hypos, original artwork there. They have my hot date. So you're like an alumni of, of the yeah. Mormon Church. They have a file and they came to my house uh, like last year and, and did like a long video interview with me just talking about uh-huh. my life for the files. So like if there's any students there at BYU who want to write a paper on – me. Yeah, I was listening to you talk about this in another mm-hmm. interview, and you know, I think your your girlfriend's mother was over and was yeah. just like, "What is going on with That's Noah?" Right. You know, are, are they able to? And I say this as somebody who has a lot of Mormon friends, but obviously, like as a religion, it's very much driven by mission proselytizing. Are they able to sort of come over and talk to you as a somebody who has you know moved past the church and not proselytize yeah because it wasn't about they weren't trying to get me back in the church they were interested in my story as a person who the church has failed basically they take that on themselves yeah they they have this whole like we need an account of what ha- you know the, the mormon church has this like promise of you know like a beautiful family in the yeah. tight community and stuff like that and what happens if that doesn't work what happens in the cases where that falls apart and that's basically uh, what the interview was about, what I did with them, was just my own history and that and the outcome where I'm drawing mean comics about their prophet and a monkey. Is... <laughs> in, in a way, I kind of appreciate that because, you know, there's a sense with a lot of Christianity where if you leave the church, it's your own failing. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like they're sort of like accepting that there is some sense that if some people are leaving them, like maybe there's something – they could do right or do better. Sure, yeah. Why was it important for you to tell that story after you know being so far removed from it? Well, I wanted to investigate it because when I turned 30 years old, 
um, I had this like sudden thing. I started like looking backwards on my life at that point. And I, I did a lot of comics. At the like, ripe old age of 30. No, at 30, yeah, because yeah. I was like, well, wh- all right, well, it's like my 20s are now done. Sure. That's a story that's it's, closed. It's a milestone. Yeah, like now I'm going to enter my 30s. Who do I want to be when I – like going forward? And like did I – was I pulled out of this faith that I was raised yeah. in um, not not on my own? And like did I – was that a, was that something – was that a decision that was made for me that I would regret if I looked into it and, and, and felt it, you know? So like – Getting involved in in uh, the history of the church has been kind of like trying to figure out my own identity in a way because I'm like, how do I feel in my heart? Like, do I have like a, a burning in the bosom, as they say, mm. you know, about this stuff? Uh, as an adult now, how do I feel about it? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're two thirds or halfway or whatever through mm. it now. Do you have a burning in your bosom? I, not for the Mormon. I really don't. No. Know. And you know, I went to a lot of the the holy sites. You know, like I yeah. me and John Porcelino went to Novu together, and even John was like. This is really – you can really feel that this is like a holy place yeah. that has an energy to it. John's a very spiritual person. Yeah, he picked up on that. And I, I agreed with him. It, you, yeah. there is a, but it's like you have all these like, – it's a gathering of all these people that feel – they bring this energy with them. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it, you can feel there's it. No, the there's no maybe value necessarily in the place itself, but the, it's, it's what people are bringing yeah, to I it. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I think so. I could be wrong. I don't know. But I, but I don't – working on this book has, has made me realize that like – that's it, just not me. Like I, I'm, yeah. I'm not Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I wonder if I would have found that out if I had stayed in the church and, and grown up with it. I wonder if I'd be a 35 year old Mormon still, or if I would have found that out, you know, and yeah. eventually anyway. I'm sure that your life probably would be very different. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have point. a bunch of kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How soon after the excommunication did, did you lose faith? Pretty soon. My mom was very, very good at like unplugging us. Okay. My mom became like a Wiccan after that. Oh, wow. So she went like it was. You didn't follow her on that journey? No, no, no. But <laughs> I did go to like, you know, she was a part of like, you know, Artist Way. Yeah. Like that. She'd go to these like Artist Way meetings where it was like a bunch of hippies would like sit around okay. in a circle and stuff and it was like talk about creativity. She went just entirely in the other direction. Oh, uh, yeah. It was so weird. And then, uh, you know, like the first vagina I ever saw was like a vagina candle she brought. Yeah. And it was like burning in the house. And I'm like, what is that weird shape? Yeah, that, that predates the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow thing. Did you? <laughs> yeah. It's really it at the sh- forefront really... of vagina candles. Yeah. But, it, you know, I've talked to people about it. And it's like, of course, because like Wiccan, it's all like female empowerment. Sure. And you're leaving like a church, um, which was all about like patriarchy. And, yeah. like, and it was very masculine. And so I think it was my mom's way of like finding her own. Identity as a, did, a woman. did you feel so, like you needed to find an identity outside of church, or did you feel a need to sort of explore other spirituality? Like I know, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm Jewish and I was bar mitzvah, and I definitely right after the bar mitzvah, right around that sort of like teenage, early teenage time, was when I was really out there looking for for something else. Hmm. I guess I'm kind of at that point now. I'm, I'm looking around and trying to see if any. You know, I was just telling Josh. Josh, I, if anybody's listening to this, I just like had lunch with Josh. Right hopefully, somebody's this. listening to this. <laughs> And yeah, we talked about that. Like, um, I can go into any church on a Sunday service and sit down and feel perfectly comfortable there. And it's because I did it every Sunday growing up. Comfortable and, is different than believing. Yeah, well, that's the problem, right? I, mean, yeah. I don't know how – yeah, I don't know. I still have to s- seek that out, but I don't think I'm going to wind up a Christian or anything. I don't know. You know, I talked to a lot of cartoonists about this. You said you listened to the Dan Klaus thing, and this is mm-hmm. something that we talked about quite a bit, was this idea of working on a book for so long, and this is your longest book, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I guess excluding Fonny Pikowski, yeah. which is multi-part. A big brick, yeah. Yeah, um, but sort of the longest, I guess, contiguous mm-hmm. book, that if you're doing your job well, you are occupying that headspace. But I assume that can drive you crazy. I mean, you're living in, you know, what, like 19th century America. And- oh, it's, yeah, it's been weird because I live in South Carolina now. Yeah. And um, it's a very Christian place. Everybody, one of the things they ask you is like, what church y'all belong to? You yeah. Know, that's a thing. That's like it before they ask what you do for a living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been in a really weird, it's been a strange uh, kind of um, insulated, religiously insulated place to be and what work you, on this. How do you answer that question now? I just say, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst possible answer because those are exactly the people I, who are going to try to get you to come over to their side. Oh, uh, the whole world is my church. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I take breaks a lot. Like, I just did that Grateful Dead book, like, at the same time. Yeah. And that was uh, – I'll never make that mistake again of working on two big books at the same time. Uh-huh. That was that was not fun. Did it, did it seem like a good idea from the standpoint of, you know, that you would be able to take a break from one and move to the other? Yeah. I have that. I always spin several plates at the same time. Like, yeah. I'm always working on different books. And uh, so it was just, like, another book to put on there. But the deadline for the Grateful Dead is what was really difficult because they needed it. The like Grateful very Deadline. Soon. Yeah, the, the Grateful <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so that that definitely uh, that wasn't very fun. Do you feel like either or both of them potentially suffered from that decision? N- no, not really. No, because I, I just stopped working on the Joseph Smith for a okay. while. And, you know, like at a certain point I'd been trying to do like a, a page for Joseph Smith and a page for Grateful Dead every day. And it wasn't – I was just going to die. And Amy, my partner, was just like – what you have to do is just stop working on Joseph Smith and just put all your attention into the Grateful Dead and just get that done, yeah. get that out of here. And she was right. So I just like put that the Joseph Smith stuff aside and just went full force on the Grateful Dead and, and got it out when when they needed it. It seems so. like you've got a pretty well regimented schedule. I mean, when did you switch over to that? When did you, you know, decide that in order to actually get this work done, you were going to need to essentially do like a nine to five? Once I – so my partner and I bought a house in South Carolina, and she has a, a nine-to-five job. It became kind of apparent that, like, the only time I was really going to see her is when she wasn't at work. Yeah. And I was just going to start a schedule of, like, when she goes to work, I'm going to go to work. And I'll, I'll work up until, like, I know she's about, like, 10 minutes, 20 minutes before she gets home. I'll stop. So she gets home around 530. So I just started working nine-to-five and, and just trying to appreciate that amount of time. Like, this is what I have to get done. And then – after that, we're going to spend time together, and then I can have a healthy relationship as well as a healthy work life, you know. And it's worked out really well like that. I mean, yeah. I've been able to get a lot of work done because I, when I was single and, like, living in an apartment alone, I would just draw until, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Just, like, eat pizza in bed and stuff, and it was just horrible. So, yeah, it's been way better. I get this sense sort of having heard you talk about South Carolina that you're almost – I don't know if isolated is the right word, but maybe there aren't a lot of distractions other than your girlfriend from getting yeah. work done. <laughs> I'm, I just got my driver's license. Okay. And so, like, now I'm able to, like, go to comic shops and stuff like that on my own. Uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's um, it's like a little – it's called Cotton Town, my neighborhood. Okay. Because <laughs> it used to be cotton mills there. That's what, yeah, I was going to say. There's uh, it's, it's a lot to unpack there. Very, yeah, it's very yeah. southern. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like in the middle of downtown, but, but Columbia is not – it's a little big town, you know? Mm-hmm. So – it's a pretty quiet place to live and uh, not a lot of like alternative comics going on around there. So You never had trouble motivating though. No, I haven't. That's true. It's just what I do. You've got this sort of strict schedule now, but that wasn't put in place because, you know, you were having trouble getting out of bed and drawing. 
No, I love yeah, I love drawing. I'll, yeah, in fact, like I, I, it's like an energy that I need to like expel. So like after I get home from this trip, I'll, I'll draw like so much you won't even believe it. Love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> so you know you've got you've got this uh, this book that Josh gave you. Mm-hmm. And Josh, I just gonna very much appreciate all the shout outs in mm-hmm. this episode. But you don't have a sketchbook with you. I do. Oh, you do. In my, okay, uh, coat pocket. Yeah. So you're you're pretty constantly drawing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah you just need to. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know how to it's, describe it's it. Like, uh, it's, I just it's like, like working it. out a muscle. Like, yeah, I'm a cartoonist. Like once I, I – I remember when I first started trying to be a cartoonist, like I didn't like drawing. It was painful to draw. Like it, it was hmm. something that I really had to, to force myself to like because I wasn't good at it and I didn't know how to – it was it just felt like what I imagine like drunk driving would feel like. I just didn't have any control or anything and and I uh, eventually over time I, I started to really like it and I started to feel really comfortable when I was doing it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just like it. I like doing it. What drew you to something that you were uncomfortable with and bad at? Because I had no other option. Like, I, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you pay, you could work your way up a Panera. <laughs> That's exactly right, yeah. I was just telling and, – and, man, we keep bringing up Josh Franklin. I'm sorry. It's just because I only just saw him. <laughs> but with him, um, I was talking about, like, man, I always had this, like, frustration with my life because I felt like if I had just been born to, a like, a – more put together family i really could have been something in this life like i know i could have like gone to a good school you know what does success look like for you i mean you know you 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 must accept that you've achieved success in what you've done yeah but i like this i mean like like this where we are right now (laughs) i like this kind of corporate corporate office oh gosh i would love that i would love the security of that and that's that's what success is to me is like security cartooning doesn't offer you that and so i I always feel on edge like i i can work really hard but you never know when when it's over it seems to me from the outside that this this sense of drive that you have might be a a side effect of having grown up poor and and watched people struggle like knowing Mm -hmm. that because because all this could go away at any time uh, you need to work your ass off and have as many, as you said, you know, plate spitting at once as possible. Yeah, that's probably true. So there's like a uh, desperation that comes from that, you know. It struck me going back and reading the, the, the Fonte Bukowski stuff, you know, really early on as you were – I think you were really kind of trying to get into your rhythm, this, mm-hmm. that first book. Oh, it was yeah. strips, right? Well, it was just a jo- – it was just such a joke. Yeah. Like, it was just making fun of writers that I would see at like zine festivals who like were selling their poetry zine and they had this big like overblown um, kind of – uh, idea of themselves and stuff. And I think the thing that you really you, you really touched on is the you know he's 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 in bed and he's waiting for inspiration to strike, and that is that very specifically is not a problem that you've ever had. No, that's true. <laughs> you never really felt yourself kind of waiting around for the the perfect idea. No, I I'm not that kind of cartoonist who's going to have a perfect idea. <laughs> I just kind of I mess around. Like right now at my house, um, besides the Joseph Smith book, I'm like. I just started working on this comic called Apocalypse Cat. Okay. And it's just going to be about a cat who, like, after the world ends, it's like a, a cat navigating this yeah. apocalypse. And it's just, like, such a silly idea. But it's just, like, drawing in a sketchbook, and then, like, that's pretty funny. I, mean, I, I, I have, like, a lot of gags for something like that, so I'll just keep going with it. But that's, like, so different than Joseph Smith, you know? Do you see something like that, though, eventually um, building out into a narrative? The way, the way that Fonte Bukowski, again, appears mm-hmm. to me to have started as a gag strip yeah. and built itself into something bigger. Yeah, yeah. Do the dots start connecting on the gags yeah. and telling a larger Definitely. story? Definitely. Because what you do is, like, you plant things that you don't really know why you did that, but mm-hmm. then later on it, you're like, oh, that connects to this. It's just the way your brain works somehow. Like, it, it's looking for connections all the time. 
and you plant little seeds in different scenes that later on will magically be like, that's the answer I needed was this thing I drew back here or something, you know. Do you abandon a lot of stuff? A lot of projects? Yeah. I have one book that I that I started that was a pretty dark story, kind of similar to like St. Cole. But then Trump got elected and I just felt like it, I'm already like now the world just seems really dark. I don't want to yeah. exist in this dark fiction that I've been writing. And I, I just abandoned that and then did a Fonte Bukowski two or three. I can't remember what year. So I, that's the only one I abandoned. But I didn't even necessarily abandon it. I'll go back to it at some point. But it just seemed like that was just like the biggest depression. And I couldn't go and concentrate on some dark story. I was like, I don't want to give the world this. Here's something. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> were you worried about the world? Were you worried about the readers, or were you worried about your own state of mind? Well, all of the above. I mean, yeah. I, I, and I and I didn't really want to give it. Like you know, Nick Dronasso when he finished Sabrina, I remember he called me on the phone. Like, yeah, I finished this book, but like, it's, it was the same thing. Like, it's just too dark. I don't know. I, I might shelve this. Like he'd called Drawn Quarterly and, and been like, Hey, can I just like not publish this? Can you, can you, and they gave him some extra time to yeah. think about it. This like perfect work of art that I made. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, like, that, that like seems to have kind of predicted the future. It in was, a way. I know, but it was this weird thing where like you're all of a sudden you became aware of like what you were contributing to the culture, and it it felt so dark at that time. Like, oh my gosh, do you remember that? Like the next day, I was just like walking around mm-hmm. Columbus, Ohio, where I was living at the time, and I just it was just empty. And it just felt so dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was in, you know, Manhattan at the time and I was walking around and I always describe everyone as looking like, um, you know, Charlie Brown with like the, the cloud above his head. Oh, sure. Or, or it's just like, it's a bad comparison. I wasn't here for 9-11, but I spe- suspect in a sunset that was kind of as close as you could feel without, you know, like a great physical yeah. human tragedy. And here. this is the city that bred that guy. Yeah, where he came from. I live in Queens now, so I'm very much in oh. in the borough. But yeah, he, he had to move over here to really. But that's the only book I abandoned was that one. And eventually, I'll, I'll I'll come around to finishing it. You get you get the sense that sort of all of these all of these sort of seeds you're planting are eventually gonna you're, hey, you're gonna see them out. Yeah, I think so. You, you had mentioned um, Pinocchio sequel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I was gonna do that, but then when I Googled, it just seemed like it already it was an idea that had already been done. Yeah. I just thought it'd be funny. It's like, what do you do? It's like you're basically like you were a wooden boy who's turned real. And then like how how does the rest of your life compare to sure. this magic that happened in your child? It's yeah. like a child actor who like totally. has grown up and is now like, a like well, now what do I do? It just felt like a funny idea for like a Pinocchio sequel. But then I just – I started looking at them like there's a lot of like Pinocchio graphic novels. I don't know if I really want to do another one. These are things that you did sort of leave behind, but you left them behind in, in a nascent enough stage. Mm-hmm. It, it, so like that that other – the dark the dark book is an example of something where we actually started on the project and mm-hmm. left it behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's um, probably a chapter and a half done in a folder on my computer. Yeah. Of it. And uh, I remember I even wrote to Eric Reynolds at Fantagraphics like I'm working on something I think is going to be real swell. But uh, I never finished it, so – and the book is called I Will Be All Right. That's what <laughs> Have you gotten better about budgeting your time? Uh, I guess so. I mean, yeah, the nine to five. That's Yeah, well, I just mean as far as um, perhaps not taking on too many projects. Oh, no, no, no. I've no. never been good at that. I take yeah. on everything. <laughs> I take on way too much stuff. Why, why, I mean, is there just a sense that you could like drop dead in every minute, any minute? So you, you might as well. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. As yeah. Big of a sort yeah. Of a big library. library. Yeah. Uh, well, I always felt like, you know, I, I'm probably not going to be like the author who like has, uh, 
like a blankets or like a my favorite thing is monsters or whatever. Like I'll, I'll probably never have a book that's like that giant. So um, giant like, in terms of like physically or in no, terms I mean of... like as like as big like a, as great of a story. It's like universally loved and all yeah. this stuff. Like I I just don't think I'm that kind of an author. But like I will probably like achieve notability, uh, notoriety, notability. I don't know. Which yeah, notoriety. By the time I'm dead, just from like having a giant library of books, you know, like that, you know, this, that cartoonist Tommy Ungerer, yeah, yeah, he did like 140 books by the time he died, or Kilgore Trout, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you're edging closer to a place where you could have that that one sort of big perfect book? But it's I don't know because I feel like that stuff happens on accident. Like my my favorite thing yeah. about monsters is. I don't think she knew that it was going to be so. That good. one for sure. I mean, that, yeah, absolutely. Because, because, you know, and, and she's great. She's on the show, but, but in a way, it does almost feel like this, like work of an outsider artist. Yeah. But blankets. I mean, yeah, that's true. Blank, blankets is a bad example, but like, I, I don't have the brain that can like be like, here's what's something that's gonna. All the kids are gonna love this. Sure. I, I just can't do that. I, I uh, just do what interests me. Yeah. And that's which I think is what she did, and it worked out for her. I don't. It's, it was amazing incredible but i don't yeah i don't don't see that happening part of it could be that those books specifically like so much of their lives went into that and Mm -hmm. and you i mean do do you ever see yourself putting yourself in a place where you can just focus on one single long project for an extended period of time joseph smith is like the closest Closest, i've ever had to that is it just living in capitalist society (laughs) (laughs) making a living yeah i mean just as far as like as you know Uh, i I talk about this living in new mm -hmm. york I, i i suspect it's less of the case in columbia or even columbus but as you said you know you're always on this kind of razor thin margin so you can't like disappear from society and work on a book for you know that's true yeah i mean i'm I'm a working cartoonist you know i like to i just like to work you know i don't know i don't know if i could even just focus on one thing uh to the exclusion of all other things for for one i just don't think i could do that honestly Aside from from that sort of dark book that is, you know, perhaps temporarily shelved, Mm -hmm. is there a story that you feel like you've been wanting to tell but haven't been able to crack? Yeah. Uh, It would be like the sequel to this book I did called One Dirty Tree about Mm -hmm. my early childhood. It would be about my family split and my split from the Mormon church. That's the book that I've I've tried. I feel like I've tried to write that story so many times and I can't figure out a way to do it correctly. I got the sense that you maybe don't want to get that personal about your immediate family going forward. Well, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> you know, you got some closure in, a, in an issue of, of Blamo, mm-hmm. and, you know, it sounds like you've kind of moved on from that just for kind of their own sake. Yeah, I mean, I, I should. <laughs> but I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I know I should. I do, I, I do, shouldn't. I do. But I'm, I'm just bringing it up because, you know, this sounds like your mind has perhaps changed since, you know, yeah. a couple of years ago when you discussed this. Yeah. Well... So, so you feel like the story is still waiting to be told. But it's a personal story. Like, I don't really need to bring a lot of my siblings into it. Yeah. I, I could just focus on how it affected me, you know, to just all of a sudden, like, have your worldview yeah. dropped, you know. I could do something like that. And I might I might do that, but I just don't know. Is that a short story? Like, is that a book? I, I don't know how to do it. You know, now being however many years removed from it, um, how cataclysmic of an event was that? Uh, <laughs> well... I'm a cartoonist. Uh-huh. <laughs> so things are going great. I, I guess things. I don't know what the other what the other uh, dimension, what my life is like, you know, in that dimension where, like, I stayed in the church and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, I'm not even talking, like, alternate realities. I'm just saying, like, how much did your life feel upended? 
Oh, I felt terrible. Yeah, I I mean, I had one pair of pants growing up. So it wasn't it wasn't then it wasn't just the, it wasn't the church. It was just like all of these things Every, that were kind of tied yeah, together. My, the, the structure that was my family just fell apart, yeah. and um, suddenly nobody was watching me, and I was you know twelve years old going to Target to steal shopping carts and roll them around my neighborhood, you know, <laughs> and like doing all these dumb things like that. Like I, I don't know, I had nobody paying attention to what I was doing in my childhood, and they really missed it, you know. So, I mean, that's something that I, that hurts me now. And I, I feel, I have a certain amount of anger about it because, uh, I feel like I could have really benefited from that. You know, and my, I, I hadn't seen my dad in like 13 years and I went to one of my brother's weddings and my dad was there and, and I just couldn't take it. And we had like a discussion where he's just like, what, like, what did, what do you wish? Like, what did I take from you? Like, what do you wish I had done? Like. And I was like, I just wish that I could have become like a man with you around because he wasn't yeah. there at all for it. He missed all of it. He didn't understand. The no, he didn't he understand it. And he told me, he's like, I didn't want to be a father. Like he said, I sh- yeah. I'm somebody who should not have been a father. But that's not something you tell your kid, you know. Yeah. And, and that's maybe a mistake you make like once. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not nine times. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, it was that religion that he was in. He felt like you had to do it. And, yeah. he, you know, and, and it's like last time I'd seen him, I was a boy. I was still like a young guy and i had only seen him at that point because my sister got married and i was at that wedding and i saw him so it's like you know come on like you're my father i'm i'm half of you and like you you i felt it's a fight for interest in in me you know i mean it sounds so, like in hindsight you're you know you're you're more conscientious about not necessarily hurting people by writing about them but because of all of these things you probably weren't too concerned about hurting his feelings specifically no i wasn't and that, I, I that book one dirty tree i went pretty hard on him i i feel bad about it now i I kind of decided I wasn't going to write mean things about my dad anymore. Yeah. There's a, a short story I did called The Lizard Laughed. And, the, you know, he read that that story and he knew, like, automatically that was about him. And I was like, well, you know, I changed your name. Or, yeah. No, I, actually, I didn't even change his name. I'm such an asshole. <laughs> but, like, now it's like that short story is, like, being turned into a short film. Oh. So <laughs> I feel yeah. <laughs> Are you less angry just generally in life now, I now am, that you're I, old? Yeah, I am. I am less angry. I forgive him. I, I understand. Like, he's not a perfect person. Why Why would he be? And everybody... And he struggled. He had health uh, Yeah, health he had mental health problems. And, and I don't know. It's just like a... Just can't be mad anymore. What am I going to carry that stuff with me? I'm like... I'm a grown adult at this point, you know. It's interesting to sort of look at the Joseph Smith book through that lens specifically, where if you'd written a, a book about the Mormon Church 10 years ago, it probably would have been an angrier book. Absolutely. And you probably would have been taking it out on the church. And my dad, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> my dad is still very much Mormon. He's, he's like, they call him Saint Holiday. What does that mean? It's just like a little, like, so, his, you know, his name was Harvey, but um, when he was in school, he was always skipping class. Yeah. So he got the okay. nickname Holiday, and then when he, you know, he went really hard on being a Mormon, got the nickname Saint, Saint Holiday. So, uh, yeah, and I, he he's actually helped me a lot with the book because I've been stuck on a lot of things, and and he's such a expert about the the church that he's like helped me out. The uh, book brought the two of you closer together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call him. We have like long conversations now and stuff. And uh, I, I mean, I told him I forgive him for all that stuff and. And we can just, like, get along as two adults now. And we do. We just talk about whatever. He tells me a lot about his childhood, stuff I didn't know about, you know, and stuff about my family that I didn't know about. Because I, when my parents got divorced and I went to Arizona from New Jersey, I just lost all of, I lost uh, all the info on my family's history from New Jersey, you know, which goes back very far. Yeah. So I just didn't know about any of that stuff. I was, And that's a part of my own identity that I was blind to. God, St. Holiday is such a good name. It's such it a perfect... Yeah. 
microcosm of somebody who is devoted to the church but just kind of skipped out on other yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Well, he started over. He got remarried and stuff. Okay. You know? But he, you know, he knows everything. Jeez, he knows everything about the church. He's a scholar. He really is. He can he he's a he can read Hebrew. He's like really into like studying the Bible and Hebrew yeah. and stuff. He didn't just read the Wikipedia article. No, he read no, the no. sources. He yeah. clicked the links at the bottom. That's right. <laughs> Has he read the book or the draft or pieces of it? No, I, I I'm hesitant to let him do that because I don't want anybody who's too faithful to to nitpick this book that's in the pro in in the process because I don't want them to influence the way that yeah. I the vision that I have for it. So he, you know, we've talked about, it and he's like, you know, I know it's not going to be like a perfect book, you know, but I'm, I'm happy you're doing it and stuff. So he knows it's not going to be a, a book that'll be selling at the Deseret bookstore in Salt Lake city or something, yeah. you know, desert Island in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. That's more like it. Yeah. yeah. Are you concerned? I mean, you know, in the, in the same way that um, you've kind of grown as far as like portraying people in your, your immediate life, are, are you concerned about, backlash from a book about joseph smith i anticipate it i'm not i'm not afraid of it there will be a lot of write-ups about it a lot of people are getting angry about things people take that story very personally it's a religion you know it's like the it's the by it's basically the bible you I know. know it's the third book of the bible i know but it, yeah there will be a lot of hatred for people me People take it personally a okay. lot of a lot of youtube videos yeah you know yeah, I mean, you need to brace yourself for, yeah. you know, like, internet comments are, are one thing. Yeah, there'll be a lot of that stuff. I I mean, that's just how it goes, but whatever. I mean, Joseph Smith's not a perfect person. Like, sure. it's silly to, to pretend he was a perfect person. Everybody in the church should know, you know, the polygamy stuff and everything. Like, everybody knows about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just portraying it, which is, like, something that they don't really appreciate. How have your thoughts about him evolved over the course of doing the book? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Have they evolved? I guess I I feel I know him better. Do you, let me let me let me put it this way, you know, because this is this is sort of the, the debate around him. This is the, the debate around L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Any like more contemporary religious figure? Do you think he was a believer in his own church? Do you, Do you uh, think that this, he believed the stories he told? That's the real question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you should you know better than a lot of other people. I don't think. I mean, I I don't even want to say I don't think so because I'm afraid. <laughs> You're afraid of backlash. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid of that. Uh, I don't. It's really it's like D- tough because then other people say, you know, there's like witnesses to the stuff that yeah. he's saying. So then you think like, what is their motivation? It's hard to say, man. It's really hard. I mean, I, like, what if you like declared yourself like a prophet, and then all these people are saying, yeah, you are, and then like you had years of people saying like you're a prophet. You know, wouldn't you start to believe some of that stuff? Like, wouldn't you start to think like maybe I am above yeah. all other. Men. Do you get you get the sense so that that was maybe his trajectory? Um, that maybe um, he by the end he believed a lot of it. Probably yeah, because um, you know one of the last speeches he gave was called the King Follows Discourse. Did you? It's like that's I, where you, you basically say like it's the the Mormon belief of um, every man is on earth to achieve godhood. So like you um, you become a god yourself, and like that like our God was just a man like me and you at one time, mm-hmm. and he worked in his life and achieved this godhood which seems like the most it's like you know of course you would say that if like you would that's like the ultimate ego thing you know yeah. like yeah you can become a god like, yeah I, I don't know that's why i think yeah do you see any similarities between his trajectory and lincoln's no no i think lincoln was i don't know if joseph smith was really a, a good person he did a lot of bad stuff yeah so I can't. I don't even know if I can. If I feel comfortable saying he was a good person. Your, your book about Lincoln is like very specifically about his just that struggles. one, yeah, yeah, just the one point of his life. But I think Lincoln was actually a really good person. 
I'm a fan. Do you? <laughs> oh, you're, you're a fan of Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. Okay. Well, <laughs> did Joseph Smith? I, I know very little about his life other than you know some of the kind of the stories of the finding of the book and all that. Mm-hmm. Did do you get the sense that he had? if not similar struggles that he had, you know, kind of major struggles in his own life. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it all comes from. I mean, he, he's from a very poor family. Uh, they were farmers, but they weren't good farmers. <laughs> they, they made this money. This in Utah. This is all in uh, Palmyra, New York, okay. uh, near Rochester. Okay. And, uh, you have more of an excuse to be a bad farmer in Utah. I get the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. It, he, um, you know, so his family was making money by, um, by using seer stones, like peep stones, oh. and, and looking for buried treasure because, you know, that, that part of America at that time had a bunch of those Native American mounds everywhere. Yeah. And people were digging into them because there was, like, a lot of, like, uh, like bronze and gold. And Burial stuff like mounds. That. Yeah, yeah. And so they were – they got into the business of, like, um, of like locating where that stuff was going to be. So, like, somebody would have a farm and they'd have, like, a Native mound on it. And then, you know, you could hire Joseph Smith and his father or whatever and his brothers and be like – they would put the magic stone in the hat, and you would look in the hat and, and tell yeah. them, like, oh, I see all this money. Like, it's uh, over here or whatever, and we'll help you locate it if you, you pay us up front or something. So they would get paid, and then they would go <laughs> look for the treasure. And I got all this stuff from the court documents because they were sued for this or taken to court for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and then they would be brought to the farm, and then they'd be digging where they said the treasure was going to be, and they wouldn't find anything. And they'd be like, oh, it's slippery treasure. Like yeah. a the heat of the sun. We, we should have yeah. done this at night because, like, the heat yeah. of the sun makes it, the treasure go down further into the soil. So we can't find it. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. It's like uh, – have you ever watched – did you watch that documentary about flat earthers or have you researched that at all? A little bit. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, I just saw that guy who died. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah. That As of the recording of this, that was, like, about a week – within the last week. Yeah. I, I do think it's sort of – it's fascinating to watch people try to discover that in real time. Yeah. And it sounds like there was maybe a sense of that with – Joseph Smith and his family. Well, they had a magic worldview back then. Everybody still believed in magic. Yeah, you know? and but there, I mean, there, there's a pretty clear. Again, I have a very cursory knowledge of Mormonism, but it sounds like there's a pretty clear line between the stone-based stuff that they were doing mm-hmm. and, and the, these kind of ideas that built the foundation of the church. Well, the whole the way the the, the Book of Mormon was translated <laughs> in quotes is that. He would have the golden plates that he had dug up um, underneath a handkerchief on the table because nobody was allowed to see them. Mm-hmm. He'd put his stone in his hat and he would sit in his hat and and then he'd have a scribe sitting next to him writing down everything he said. And he the stone was revealing to him the words that were on these plates. That's how it was done. And the Mormon, you know, if you look at if you look up like Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon or whatever, it's like you get all these paintings from the church of Joseph Smith sitting there with these golden plates open and he's reading them. You know, and it wasn't like that at all. Like, you know, nobody saw the golden plates except for him. And the three witnesses, apparently, who said, like, when he gave the plates back to the angel, there was, like, three of his friends there who said that they saw the angel with their own eyes and they saw the plates. But that's it. Nobody else has ever seen these things. And he did it by looking at a stone in a hat, you know. The hat thing was literally taken from the stuff that his family was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the same – I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's the same kind of, like <laughs> – It's not really weird. In hindsight, it's not yeah, really weird at all. yeah, yeah. But... But there's a lot of, you know, in the, the Peepstone itself, the church still owns it. They still have it. And, they, yeah. you know, you can look it up and see what it actually looked like and stuff. Eventually, he stopped using that stone and started just um, just sitting there basically with his eyes closed, like speaking. And then they would write down for like the revelations from the God and stuff from God for that stuff. Even if the Book of Mormon is not what it, the church says it is, it, it's not something that came from a stack of golden plates that mm-hmm. were like buried. 
it's still a pretty incredible piece of automatic writing. Like somebody could just sit in a hat and just speak these words and somebody yeah. just writing them down. Yeah. It's like William Burroughs level yeah. shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Incredible. Yeah, without the uh, all of the cutting stuff out of magazines. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but that gives it a lot of value. He was channeling something. Yeah, there's regardless. something there. And if you uh, you probably never read it, I assume. Right? I haven't. No. I've been in a lot of hotels in the yeah. Southwest, but I have not actually read it. <laughs> It's a, it's pretty incredible, you know. Yeah. Like I say, it's really something. So, and that's another thing that like the church uses. Like, okay, well, if he didn't, because he's, you know, uh, Joseph Smith was illiterate. So, like, they're like, you know, how can an illiterate man have sure. done this book? I have no answer for that. I don't know where it came yeah. from. You know, not even begrudging. In, in in a sense, that you feel like you have a newfound respect for some of what he did. Sure. Yeah, he did a lot of. I mean, how, he founded a a very uh, great religion. It's still still going, still growing, as far as I know. And so you still have fondness for it. Sure. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it, it brings people. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have siblings that are still yeah. in the church, and they're all happy. They got great families and stuff, so it serves that purpose. You know, yeah. a lot of people find a lot of happiness in it. So it's hard to be like you know some guy like who was like living in an apartment is like the worms are stupid or whatever, and then you go back to like watching Cartoon Network and you're just depressed. And then, like, you compare your life to people who believe in it, and they, they're healthy, and they yeah. have families they are, you know, I don't know. I think it just serves its purpose, like a lot of religions do. So yeah, yeah. It's hard to dis. It gives to. it gives people meaning in a yeah. very <laughs> meaningless yeah. world. And I don't want to, and yeah, dissing, making fun of people's faith is sure not very nice. It's not a good thing to do. In those early days, again, when you felt like you couldn't draw at all, and it was painful for you, did you ever come close to just kind of packing it in? No, no, I never did. I just kept going. I mean, I also had like a delusion, which is basically what Fonte Bukowski is about. Like, I had that that self protective delusion. Yeah, where I was just like, I'm great. Yeah, I'm a great artist. Like, no, everybody there, hates me, but it's because they're wrong. So, so there, there, there's a lot of you in that book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's something that is yeah. how you survive. Is you just be like, I'm, I'm really great. I'm a, I'm a true. Uh, artist and these people just can't see it. They can't deal with what I'm what yeah. I'm doing. That's an important aspect of it because a thing you very much risk with a character like that is, you know, kind of making fun of other people. Mm-hmm. But but you do you feel like a lot of that was essentially pointing the camera at yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the, to kind of distract that that's what I was doing. I made myself a character in the story. Yeah, the prestige. To be like, I'm not Fonte. Look, I'm right here. Yeah. That, that's me right there. And then just make myself just a horrible – make turn my myself into like the villain of that story. You know, Why was it important to distract from that? I just thought it was funny. I was getting that okay. question a lot of like – Are you? Are you Fonte? Is that you? And yeah. And the answer is – No, know. I'm right here. <laughs> but the real answer is it may be a little yeah, bit absolutely. at least. I mean that's you know, that's how you learn to write something like that is like you kinda have to experience that. You kinda have to feel those feelings of like I'm gonna go to a Dave Egger signing and give him my mini comics, which I actually did. I yeah. actually did do that. And he didn't want them, you know. No. He said the same thing, like it's the same line they go <laughs> Send it to my publisher or uh, yeah, my yeah, agent. Yeah. yeah. Or they, or somebody will say like, Oh, something to read on the plane. That's how they always uh, I've heard that line so many times. Because I used to do that all the time. Like if there was like an author signing I'd go there and give him my mini comic. Has that made you uh, more sympathetic when you're at shows and people hand you their comics? Yeah, I don't. I'll, I'll, I always I take everything and I'll read it. Yeah, know. yeah. Doesn't mean I won't necessarily always like it, but I'll read it. I mean, I remember Dan Cloud saying that like I read whatever people give me. He always makes time to do that, and I was like, I'm going to do the same thing. So yeah, it makes you you know when when you have those moments in your own life where you're just like ignoring emails or ignoring Twitter or maybe not being like you know, super nice to people who come up to you at shows. When you look at somebody like that and they're taking the time to do it, you're mm-hmm. like, I have 
absolutely no excuse to be yeah. an asshole to other people. Right. Let me sit down and look at this. You gave a reading a couple of years ago, and there was, a, I think, a really kind of fascinating quote um, about where you felt like you were at the time. You said, um, I don't think I'm where I want to be, but I'm closer. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years removed from that, are you where you want to be? No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, we'll get there. It's still a struggle. You know, I, I have, like, a the idea of, like, what the perfect drawing style would be like for me. I just haven't gotten there yet. Is it a specific person's style? Is there somebody? No, it's who you... a. But it's it's um, there's like a, a confident looseness that I really want. I want to be able to just loosely draw something, the same way every time. Yeah, you know, it's a. I, what happened was I went to Angoulême in 2015, and uh, I just saw the way that they were drawing, and they had yeah. that style. Where it was just like. It yeah. just seemed like so much fun. There was like so much like joy in their drawing style there. Yeah, like Trondheim's got that sort of Trondheim, almost like Jean, Schultz. Bar, yeah, that yeah. Schultz style, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you simplify it. Yeah. it you got to – that's what cartooning is all about. Like I need to learn how to like reduce things to some kind of like simple – I mean I'm, I'm getting there. Like in, in, I think people will see that with the Joseph Smith book. It's very the – sty- the style is very uh, breezy for me. Like it's, yeah. not, it's not heavily crosshashed or anything like that. So I'm, I'm still working on that. As I get more and more comfortable drawing, because I'm not a natural artist, so it's it's been like learning how to to draw and learning how to be a cartoonist for the past 15 years. You know, it's having your old, an older brother who is a, a comic, a comic book artist. artist. Yeah, yeah not a but cartoonist, not a cartoonist, but somebody who draws comics for a living. Yeah, was that a motivator? Well, that was a way of uh, like seeing him as an example at the time. Going back to that time where I, w- I just felt like I don't know what options I have in life. I'll be working at this Panera Bread. Seeing him as an example of somebody from my family who yeah, um, just kept going with comics, you know, because we comics were a big thing in my family. It was like the one thing that my father, like, encouraged us to read besides the Bible or the Book of Mormon or something. So, uh, yeah, seeing him, like, actually take it seriously and and, and get – do successful books and stuff like that. It's funny because a lot of a lot of cartoonists I talk to say that you know, like I wasn't until I was like so and so. I didn't know that this was a thing you can do for a living, but it, you did at the very least have an example. Yeah, an of somebody example who was able to do it. it. And at the time I got into cartooning, I think he was like named like Wizard Artist of the Year or something. <laughs> it was like wow, like. But I I realized kind of quickly that I could never do what he can do. Yeah, I don't have that skill set. So. Well, he's he's what like ten years, to yeah, 15, ten, year, 10, ten years older. Year old. that, that's a fairly significant gap. But you must have at least seen him kind of spend some time banging his head against the wall. Yeah, when he was, when he was a teen. But, I, you know, the thing is, like, we didn't, we didn't, like, basically at the end of that book, One Dirty Tree, I just didn't see him anymore. He, you yeah. know, we, we, my mom took us, the younger kids, to Arizona. He stayed in New Jersey and did whatever, like, and I just wasn't really raised with him from that point on. So, like, I don't, I'm not really that close with him. But I remember growing up and seeing him in, like, in the attic drawing and, uh, you know, he started from the bottom too. Like his, you know, that stuff was pretty rough. But he was more of a natural artist than I was. And and I have other brothers, Josiah and Micah, and they were also into comics. They just didn't try and take it professionally. So it was just like a thing that all the guys did. You know? I mean, obviously, like there's there's no there's not going to be an exact moment where you're like, oh, I've cracked this style, perhaps. But do you, do you get the feeling that even when you get closer to or get exactly there that your style will continue to evolve? Do you think that that's just something you're going to continue chasing for the rest of your career? I hope so. I would hate to, to arrive somewhere. You know, you don't want to plateau. Like, I want to just keep working and everything I do get better because that was another 
rule of mine when I had just started getting into comics was I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take this as seriously as I can as something I can do with my life. But at the end of every year, like I'll kind of take stock of how the year went. And if it didn't get better than the year pr- mm. uh, previous, then I'll just, I'll, I'll quit this and just go do something else yeah. because I don't know if I can actually even do this. So I'm going to have to see some kind of results. And so I lived like that and I'm, I still kind of live like that where I go, okay, how, what happened this year? Like, is it, does it seem like it's getting better? And so far it has every year. So I just keep going forward. Mm. 